starting a new series of messages. You just saw our intro called Imagine the Fully Devoted Life. And I'm hoping that as we go through this series that it will be transforming for you. We do want to be fully devoted followers of Christ. We want to be like Jesus because Jesus was the greatest example of love for everyone. Kind of sounds like I'm itching, didn't it? Is it good? Avery, how am I doing back there? Okay. Let me know if I need to grab a mic and, and I, can, I can do that. All right. Hopefully they don't already have issues with a message and I just started, right? Hopefully they don't, they don't have that. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, we want to help people understand the love of God in this way. There, we're doing this in different ways. First of all, I'm going to be preaching messages on the weekend through all of us all of this, so you'll be able to connect with that. If this is the only way you receive the information, that's awesome, that's fantastic, no big deal, okay? It's really great. But we have some other ways you can do it, too. We're selling a book called Imagine the Fully Devoted Life, and it's a personal study for you to go through on your own. We have available, we have these available outside uh, in the lobby. They're only five bucks. I mean, they're just basically at cost for us. And it's a way for you to go through again and to learn more about what I'm going to be talking about on the weekends. I'm not re-speaking what's in the book. You'll be learning about the topic. There are personal questions that you answer to evaluate yourself. And there are quiet time guides that you can go through uh, each day as we go through this series over the next eight weeks. So you can buy that. And there's a third way you can do it if you would like, and that is to be a part of one of our small groups. Most of our groups, community groups in our church, are going through this study as well. And it's a great time for you not only to learn even more through the study in the small group, but to discuss what it is that you're learning so you can learn from each other. We started some new groups today. In fact, we had several people involved in them. And those groups happen between our services about, again, 10-10, 10-15, back in our back building. Again, uh, we'll get you to the right location. I know we have a couple of groups that started today. So if you'd like to be a part of that next week, we encourage you to come. Now, let me tell you this, the value of this. All right, again, no pressure. Okay, all right. Uh, the value of this, and uh, again, don't feel guilted into do the, doing this at all, but the personal nature of this really helps you see who you are because it begins uh, in the, the book, in chapter one, with an assessment. You take a spiritual assessment of about four key areas of your life, and that's what this whole series is about. It's about your testimony, it's about your personal relationship with God and how you share that with others, about your time, how you spend time with God in prayer and Bible study, about your talents, which is your spiritual giftedness and how you get engaged with other people to serve others, and your treasures, which are the investments that you make for God as you manage the resources that God has given you. Those are the four key areas of the Christian life. There are two chapters about each of those. But the assessment at the beginning is cool because it asks you ten questions about each of those things. Ten questions about testimony, time, talents, and treasures. Forty questions. And after you do that and rate yourself, you fill in this little graph. You rate yourself zero, which means I absolutely stink at this, or, or ten, where, man, I've mastered this in my life. And you go around and you, you uh, measure yourself in that way and put it on a graph. I just want to show you my graph to help you see what it's like. You'll see, and I know you can't 
see it from wherever you are, most likely, but there are four quadrants, testimony, testimony time, talents, and treasures, 10 questions, those are the numbers, and then the circles are the answers. Zero is the center circle, 10 is that. But you answer all these, you plot your scores, and you connect them. Now, I am very visual, so I colored mine in, because it's fun. All right, I colored mine in, and this is a spiritual, a, a picture of my spiritual condition. You're probably thinking, Tim, shouldn't you at least be all close to eight and ten because you're a preacher? If you've been around here much at all, you know that ain't true. All right, you know that's not true. But it was great for me. Actually, our staff is going through this whole thing. Our staff is doing this. We did this, did this, and we've been going through the. We've been going through. Hello, hello. We got a new a new thing here. I'll be fine. All right. Uh, there's a way uh, for you to go through it to be able to see who you are. And again, as our staff is doing this, we're learning so much more about who we are as a staff as well. So it's it's really cool. That's the way it starts, and it teaches about er, teaches you about everything else. Five bucks, you can grab one. You can actually buy one online at the very bottom if you're on the app and doing it electronically today. The message that I'm about to do at the very bottom, there's a place you can click to purchase one, or you can get in a group by doing that. So as you leave today, make sure you do that. If you want one, if you're in our online church today, you can also uh, get one by uh, clicking on it, and we'll mail it to you. No big deal. We would love to do it. All right, today I want to talk to you about the first topic that's in the book, but it's the first topic that we need to hear about related to our testimony and sharing our faith. It's about the story, and all of us have a story. Every one of us do. And that story relates to God. Some people in their story are Christians, all right? They have a relationship with God, and their life was a certain way before they became a Christian, and then there were certain things that happened that caused them to be a Christian, and then there are certain things that have happened since you've been a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian today. There are some people who are here today might not be a Christian, and that's cool because this message applies to you too, because you may be looking for something in your life or looking for answers. You might just be here with a family member or whatever, okay? Uh, but for whatever reasons, you don't have a relationship with God. Either you don't think you need a relationship with him or maybe you're searching for something and he might be the one who fills your need. And we obviously believe that that's the truth here today. So no matter who you are, uh, we have a story. Now, I want to talk about those people who uh, have, have relationships with people. And for us... In our relationship with God, uh, we can look at the story in three different parts. And I just made reference to it. One is life before our relationship with God. Another is how we came to know God. Second part. Third part is what our life has been since knowing God. That's the way it is in all relationships. That's part of our story. So I want to tell you a little story about someone that I have a relationship with. And her name is Jennifer, obviously. Okay? So um, Jennifer is my wife, if you're new here today, and I always, 100% of the time, am very positive about here all, all the time, okay? And see, did you see my graph about how bad I am as a person? Some of you know sometimes I, I should be careful about what I say, and it's because we're all human and we all have issues in relationships, and I have issues in relationship with a wife, just like you would have a relationship in that or other relationships. I'm imperfect, you know, just, just like you are. But there's a past and the, there's, uh, you know, what our, my life was like before her, how I came to know her, and what life has been like before that. I met Jennifer when I was a junior in high school, and before that, I had gone out with some other girls, you know, and at that time of your life, sometimes they can be serious, but mine were not, and at this time, I didn't, you know, I didn't like anybody. I wasn't going out with anybody. 
My brother-in-law was the minister of music at a local church. He's married to my sister. He was a minister of music there. And he invited me to come and play the guitar and sing at a hayride that they were doing for all the students in their church. So I went to be the entertainment. Jennifer was on that hayride, and she immediately was starstruck. Now, here's the other thing about stories. Sometimes the way you see stories and the way other people see stories are very different. So you're getting my version today, all right? She was starstruck. So we started liking each other. The second date that we had was on another hayride. Our church, the church I went to, had a hayride, and she went with me and first kissed under a blanket. That's all I'm going to say about that hayride, and aren't you glad about that. We started dating. We dated for eight months. Her dad was a pastor like my dad was a pastor, and they moved to Spring Hill. This was all in Pensacola. We were growing up in Pensacola. They moved up north of Tampa to Spring Hill, and her dad pastored a church up there. Well, I didn't see her for two years, uh, actually about three years, and she and I both had talked about going to college at Sanford University in Birmingham. So I went. I'm two years older than her, and as I say many times, that if you met the two of us together, you would immediately see the maturity difference. So anyway, I'm two years older than her, and y'all got to be more quick, okay? This is hilarious what I'm talking about right now, okay? Her version is very different. Anyway, uh, I was there for two years. I was in a fraternity, and we were hosting parties for all the new incoming freshmen. And we did a party. I turned around, and lo and behold, who was there but Jennifer? She was at the party. I didn't know she was there. Just all of a sudden, you know, wow, there she is. She was dating somebody else. I was dating somebody else. We started going out with each other. She uh, broke up with a person that she was going out with. I eventually broke up with the person that I was going out with. This is where the story makes it sound really bad on my part, okay? And I'm not going to talk about that part. What it did lead to, though, was a couple of years later, a proposal from me for marriage for her in a sand trap in the pouring rain in Birmingham, Alabama. We got married in Pensacola, Florida. We had four kids, and here we are today. How's that for a story? All right? Yeah. We all have stories about relationships. There was uh, before my relationship with Jennifer no girlfriend. There was how I met Jennifer, the connection, and then there's my life after Jennifer. That's what it is. And when you think about any relationship, they all have that. Now, that's an important story for me. It's a very important story, but it's not the most important story for me. The most important one is when I gave my life to Jesus when I was seven years old, that I came to know that I had sin in my life, that I needed Christ in my life, and I gave my life to Jesus, prayed and asked him to forgive me of my sins and to take control of my life, was baptized after that even. And since then, you know, the Christian life has been an up and down journey. And I think we could all say that about our, our Christian lives, that it's that way. But it's important. That journey is important because I want everybody to be on the same journey that I'm on. And as Christians, all of us should desire everyone to be on that same journey. I want to talk to you today about someone who had a past, how he came to know Christ, and how his life changed. And it's somebody that I talked about a few weeks ago in the last, uh, last series. In fact, the message was pretty much centered around him. But I'm doing it again today to take a fresh perspective. And his name was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was someone who did not know God. And he had issues in his life that led him to come to Christ to find out more about him. And I want to read that right now. It's found in Luke chapter 
It's found in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. All right. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw him, saw this, and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. There are three different types of stories, and we think most often about this in connection to books that are written about people. One would be a biography, where someone would write about the life of someone else. Okay? Then there's the autobiography, where someone writes about their own life. And then there are other types of stories that we that we, that we have as well. well. I want you to think about that, not necessarily in book form, but how we, how we relate to other people and how they see us. Basically, and this is written in, in a form, a biography was just written about Zacchaeus and Jesus, but about Zacchaeus. A guy named Luke wrote this gospel in, in the Bible, and he told the story of this man. All right, so it's a biography. Zacchaeus didn't do it himself. He wrote what happened in this event. Now, what we know happened in, in this event was for Zacchaeus, it was his own personal story. Somebody wrote about it, but for Zacchaeus, this really did happen to him, and it was an event that radically changed his life. So, what happened? Well, he was just like us, and he had to deal with something. He had a past like we have a past. So on your outline sheet, number one says this, that he had a past. Fill it in. He had a life. He had a life. And his life was a certain way. And we read in the scripture a description of that in verse 2. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and then it describes him. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So there's two descriptions here of him. Chief tax collector and he was wealthy. So what do we learn from that? Next thing is this, that he was a leader, that Zacchaeus was a leader. Now, the reason why I say that is because it says not that he was the tax collector. It says that he was the chief tax collector. He was the big cheese of the tax collectors. He was the goat. I don't know if he was the greatest of all time. Y'all, there's a football game tonight. Have y'all heard about that or not? But this guy had, you know, he was at the pinnacle of tax collecting. Right? He was the chief guy. So if somebody looked at him and said, is he a success, they would have absolutely said, vocationally, he's made it. He's a leader. That's what his life was like. But not only that, but he, there was, there was another description of him that people said of him. I mean, it actually is in the scripture, and it was this, that he was wealthy. He was loaded. Let's put it that way. He was loaded. He was a leader, and he was loaded. He had, when I think about Zacchaeus, I think about someone who would have had one of the nicest houses, live in the gated community, you know, whatever, uh, because of how much money he made. I would think about him having, you know, a really awesome sailboat. They didn't have powerboats in that day, right? 
had an awesome sailboat, had the sweetest of all rides, had a Mercedes Camel, bright eyes, right? 15-inch hooves, loud exhaust. Did y'all get the loud exhaust part of that? I'm just giving you a moment. All right, But, you know, have the, the nicest of the nicest stuff. Here's Zacchaeus. And you would think, because he would have all of that, why in the world would he need anything else? Well, obviously he did need something else. Now, if you, again, looked at his life, there were certain parts of his life that you would say are successful. And all of us have different parts of our life that we need to look at. So if you're a Christian today, then we can look back at what was my life like before I became a Christian? What was going on in my life? Now, if you're not a Christian, it's like, what is going on in my life right now, right? Because you're still part of this journey. But if you're a believer, I want you to think of it in that way. What was going on in my life? Now, on your outline sheet, there are many different options or different categories of stuff that was going on in your life. Now, if you maybe you're maybe not old enough to have a job, you know, I get that. But when we look at Zacchaeus, if you rated yourself 0 to 10, 0 is things are going really bad for this, 10 is awesome. Zacchaeus, for work, would have put a 10. For wealth, he would have put a 10. Now, I don't know if he had a family. I don't know if he was married or had kids. But let's say he had a kid. Let's say he had a son and he had a terrible relationship with him. Might not have been a 10. It might have been a 3. All right, we can go through it. Friendships might be going great, maybe bad romantically. All of this. Recreation. It's like, man, I'm out there having fun and doing all this all the time. Physical fitness. I was in great shape or I had physical problems. I had health issues. Education might be. And a lot of people, you know, I'm smart. I can, you know, I'm smarter than you and rely on that. I don't know what your life was like, but I want you to, I want you to figure it out right now. I don't want to ask you to go home and, you know, do this. I want to give you an opportunity right now. Now, I know, y'all, I know not everybody does the outline sheet, writes things down. I get it. No judgment whatsoever. I get it, all right? So if you're looking at me, you know, and not writing this down, I am not judging you very badly. Okay, so I'm not judging you. I'm not going to judge you at all, all right? I get it because not everybody learns the same way. But if you do have a guide, I want to rate yourself 0 to 10, how things were going before you became a Christian, where you like everything was good, money, things, relationships were bad, zero to ten. Now here's the deal about these things, because all of these things can put our life in jeopardy. They can put our life in jeopardy and cause issues that lead us to look for more things. So I want you to keep that in mind that it puts our life in jeopardy as I give you some background music to begin your exercise right now. Go ahead. that, you really have a little picture of, yeah, this is what was happening in my life. Well, what are those things that were happening? What were the catalysts there that were leading you to like, man, I need help. I need something else to go on in my life. Well, that's the second thing that I want to talk about. On your sheet, fill this in. It says this about Zacchaeus, that he wasn't satisfied. And for whatever reason he wasn't satisfied, there are reasons why we don't become satisfied as well. And I'm not sure exactly what it was for him, but for some reason, 
his tank wasn't full, okay? He didn't have a full life. I don't know, again, how Zach was talking about his life because sometimes there's another type of story that we tell. I talked about the biography. Luke wrote this. Sometimes it's autobiography. We write about ourselves, okay? But there's another type of story. It's called a story of fiction. You all heard of that, right? It's not true. It's not real. But sometimes we write something about ourselves as an autobiography. Hey, it's just not the truth. And I can see very easily where Zacchaeus was talking about his life and putting on this great impression about, hey, look how much money I have. Look at my position in life. I'm so happy. But obviously he wasn't because there had to be a reason for him to be willing to receive the message about Jesus and his need for his life, his need for him in his life. All of us are looking for something, even the people who we think have it all. There's a a lady, her name is Cynthia Jaime, and she's a columnist, and she knows a lot of really famous people and movie stars, and she wrote about some of the people who were in lower-profile jobs. One of them was a ticket taker at uh, at a movie theater. Another one did hair and makeup. And she said there was something that all the people that she knew of who went from positions like that lower to places of fame, she said there's something that was common about all of them. And this is what she wrote. When they became successful, every one of them became more angry, manic, unhappy, and unstable than they had been when they were working hard to get to the top. And that, it's just interesting. We feel like we get to the top, but when we get to the top, all these other emotional problems start rearing their ugly heads. Like, why am I emotionally feeling this way? Because all of this does not cause me to have joy. You see, when we have joy, it wipes around all the, it wipes away all the other healthy emotions. If you're joyful, there's no reason to be angry, no reason to be manic or depressed or anything, because you have joy in your life. So if we don't and we're living for other things, Sometimes these other emotions rear their ugly heads. So I can just imagine Zacchaeus probably having some of the same situation in his life. That maybe in some of the other relationships or other environments that some of these negative things started coming out. Just not only to communicate a message to other people, maybe, that something's not right. But to say something to himself that something's not right. Isn't that the way it is? I mean, it it is for me. When I get depressed, it's like there's something wrong. There's something not right. If I get angry, it's the same way, that something in my head is not right or something that I'm not living for is right. It's the same thing that happens with all of us. Whatever it was, it led him to the place where he knew he needed help. So let's fill that in. He wasn't satisfied. And because he wasn't satisfied, he wanted help. And he began to look for that help, and he found it with Jesus. In Luke 19, verse 3, it says this. That he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. There are two W words in that scripture. He wanted, and he wanted to see who Jesus was. So he wanted to see Jesus. There must have been some reason for the desire to see him. It may have been because he heard about the miracles that Jesus was doing. It might have been that he heard about the teaching that Jesus was giving the stories that he gave about other people who had come to God, I don't know. Whatever it was, was attractive to him because he wanted to come and figure out who Jesus was all about. That's the other W. What was he all about? 
See, that's the was for us. I mean, we're looking for a was. What, what was the thing for them to cause them to have that in their life? And that's why he came to Jesus. Is he the answer and is he the help that I need? So what did he do? He had an encounter with Jesus. So let's fill that in. He came and he actually met Jesus. And we know he really wanted to meet Jesus. We know that there was a passion for him to do that uh, because of how he came to Jesus. It said this, Luke 19, 4. So he ran. He ran. Say that with me. He ran. Okay. Say it one more time. He ran, okay? So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. He ran. I mean, it didn't just say, hey, he's there. He you know, sped up. And, you know, there was a reason why he had to run because he had to get up in front of him. But don't we run after things that we want? I mean, when I read that, he wanted to see him so badly, he was ready to take off to get in front of him to see him. And because he did it, that's when he had, had this encounter with Jesus. That's what happened. Not all stories are this way. Not all Christian stories of people about coming to Christ is this way. Because you look at yourself and say, well, there wasn't really anything big and tragic going on in my life or this huge, huge void where I was going and searching for answers all the time. And that's what happens here. Many times people will come to church because things are really bad. They're looking for help. But for others, it's like, okay, things aren't terribly bad, but you're open to listening to someone else. In fact, you didn't go looking for anyone, but you were at work one day, and one of your coworkers who was a Christian came up and just started to have a conversation with you about your life, and the conversation went toward God and toward Jesus and about a relationship with Jesus and how this relationship radically changed this person's life. And after hearing that story, they gave their life to Christ. They didn't go running after anything, but someone came into their life. Some people, it's a family member who, y'all, that's what happened for me. I, we, I had my parents talk to me about Christ. I wasn't going out and, you know, whatever. They talk to me about Christ. Now, I want you to think about this because this also is part of your story. On your outline, there are two different options for you, and we're not going to have any Jeopardy music this time, okay, because it's really quick, that would best describe what your life was like. It was this. I made an effort to have an encounter with Christ. You're like Zacchaeus. I needed help, so I went trying to find him, all right? Or the second is someone came to me to give me information about Christ. I don't know which one of those are that way. I mean, you can raise your hand or not raise your hand, okay? It's no big deal. How many of you were in that first category that you went looking for answers because things were bad in your life? Any of y'all? Okay. How many of you just had somebody come around you and just started sharing? You might have grown up in a Christian home and it just kind of happened that way. I mean, wow, the majority of people are that way. So you can see people have different types of stories. And that's important for us to know not only... What my life was like, that's, we rated ourselves, right? But how it was that I came to know Christ. Remember, there's a life before coming to Christ, and there's how I came to Christ. So we've talked about two parts of that story. Well, I want to share with you a third part, that he received the message that he needed, okay? He received the message he needed. Zacchaeus needed a message, and Jesus wanted to deliver that message because Jesus had a certain feeling about the message that he was giving. I want to talk to you about that message for a moment. The first is this. 
It's an urgent message. Fill that in, that we see this as urgent. It's an urgent message because people need to hear it. Listen to what happened with Jesus in Luke 19, 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Three really important parts to that scripture. First of all, he looked up. If it's an urgent message that we want to share with other people, we are constantly looking around for people who are lost. We're constantly doing that. In fact, that's the reason why Jesus came, right, in Luke 19, sin. It's on your, your sheet. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. But for us to reach them, we have to see them. So I can see Jesus just walking down the street, and he's just looking around and looking at the people who are near him, and he looks up in that tree, and he sees that guy, and he immediately knows something's happening with this guy, and he needs a message. And he doesn't need that message tomorrow. He needs it now. So what do you say? Immediately come down. He talked about the immediacy of this. Because Jesus didn't want Zacchaeus to waste one more day of his life when he had the answer for him. That's the way we should be. We should be people who are urgent, first of all, who look around. That we have our heads on a swivel. If we... If we are not looking around for people who are lost, if we're not purposefully trying to figure out the condition spiritually of people who are around us, whether they know Jesus or not, it is not. Y'all hear this, and I know it's very convicting for myself personally. If we're not doing that, the message is not urgent. It's a good message. We hope people hear the message. But it's not an urgent message, because if it was urgent, I would want to help as many people who are lost not be lost anymore. And I would want to give that information to them now, because I shouldn't want them to waste any more time in their life. And then it said this. Not only did he look up and that it was immediate, but he said this. He said, I must. It, it was his passion. He loved people so much that he had to do something about it. That's what our passion is. Whatever our, we're passionate about, we've got to do it. So when he says he must, it's like it's not an option. This is in my heart. And because it's in my heart, I have to do this. So if it's an urgent message for us, that's the way we feel about people. People are our passion. And because people are our passion, we'll do something to try our very best to try to reach them and to help them any way we can. Here's something else about the message. It was the message of truth. Think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, and I really, again, I'm using my imagination. I would imagine he was probably making himself out to be better than he was. Fiction, right? Everything's great. Now we see something about the message. The message that Jesus gives is the message of truth. What's really cool to me, or what's really intriguing to me about this story is we don't hear a lot of the conversation that took place in his house. I mean, we hear part of it, and maybe this is all that was said, all right? Maybe it was just the conviction that Jesus would go to his house, that immediately Zacchaeus felt this way about himself, 
all right, I'm, I'm sinful, I've done things wrong, I want to make things right. That could have been it. But there might have been a lot more of the conversation that just wasn't recorded. And to be honest with you, there probably, I would think maybe there was, but I could be wrong. But there was probably more conversation. No matter what, no matter what was said, there was one message of truth that was delivered to Zacchaeus. One message that made the biggest difference. And it was a nonverbal message. It's the same message that we get. Here's the message. The message of truth is that we matter. So on your outline sheet, I want you to fill that in. The truth message is that we matter. How did he know that? Because Jesus was willing to take his time to spend time with Zacchaeus. When we take our time and are willing to go and speak to other people, it says, you are worth my time and you matter. That was the message. So when, I, when we look at our life about our message, are we communicating a message to other people that they matter? Y'all, this is the thing that blows me. And not everyone are people who would serve in a food pantry or, you know, food ministry. Not every, It's not their gig. I get it. I totally understand that. But that's one of the things that my comeaways from my experience on Friday was those people who were coming through in those cars, because many of them come weekly, all right? They knew that the people who were serving them loved them. Because over and over and over again, I don't know how many people told me this, we appreciate so much what they're doing for us to help us. They are great. They just show, they just show how much they care about us all the time. You know, isn't that incredible? I mean, if I needed a good illustration of this today, that was it. They matter. So it makes me think about in my own life, what am I doing to help people feel like they matter. And it's not necessarily my verbal language. It's my body language. It's my nonverbal language of my willingness to be with other people. Because people need to feel like they're significant. And we are significant. We're significant even though we mess up. This is the thing that blew that blew these people away, all these, these religious people. Look, look at the scripture. I want to just read this and I'll explain it. Luke 19, 7. All, everybody say the word all. All. Fantastic. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Everybody. I mean, it's all these, it said it's everybody. Everybody began to mutter about, talk to each other amongst themselves. Can you believe that Jesus is going to stay with this guy who's a sinner? I mean, he's a thief. He's, you know, is this person, how can he do this? Well, let me just point something out. So were they, right? They were sinners too. But their issue was they measured people and their worth according to their behavior. You're a bad person because you do bad things. And they were bad people, too. It just might have been those things they were doing, they were doing in secret, and other people weren't noticing it. All of us do bad things. So they measured their behavior in that way, but that's not what God does. Look, it says this. God loves us. It's already on your sheet. God loves us not because of our behavior, but because we matter. Because he created us. Because he has. He wants to have a relationship with us. So what is this message? Okay, it's... It's uh, an immediate message, all right? 
It is a truthful message that you matter. The third message is this. It's a message of love. So fill that in. It's a message of love. We are to show our love to other people. We can't do enough to make God not love us. What we can do is to prove that we don't love him. Okay, let me say that again. We can't do enough to make God not love us, but we can do what we do to prove that we don't love him. And we're selfish. We do things for us and not for him. But here's the cool thing about it. Even though we're doing this to say we don't love God, God still loves us. If you're excited about that, say amen. God still loves us, and he cares about us and wants us to have a relationship with him. Now, here's what happened with Jesus. Jesus could have looked at his behavior and said, like the other religious people, Pharisees, Sadducees, whoever was around, okay, measured him just like, you know, they did and said, there's no way I'm going to spend time with him. Well, if Jesus would, if Jesus did that, what would have happened with Zacchaeus would, would be, I'm going to continue to measure my life according to my, my behavior. That's how I'm going to measure my life. I'm going to continue to, 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 to measure myself by what I do. And he would have felt from Jesus what he felt from everybody else. And that feeling, an emotional type of feeling, is called judgment. There are two important statements. These are the last two things we're going to put on our sheet, all right? Two important statements. The first one communicates this. Those who avoid and judge communicate that people don't matter. So what might be happening in your life, you're avoiding people because you don't agree with their behavior, they're bad people, whatever, and you are spending your time judging them because of what they do. I'll say this, I think I said it last week, it is ridiculous to expect non-Christian people to act like Christians, right? It's just the craziest thing I've ever heard of. But it's so easy for us to do that. Here's the other statement, all right? Those who engage and love, engage and love, communicate that they do matter. So it's just a, basically a recap of what I just said. Those people who, who spend time with other people and meet their needs, no matter what has been going on in their life, those are the people who don't feel judged. When you came to Christ, I, I have a feeling that you probably didn't feel judged by the person who led you to Christ. Because if you did, I mean, they, that's not love, and we're not drawn to that. We're all looking for significance. And significance is that I have a reason to live, that I have a purpose and a mission for my life. That's what gives me significance. But listen to this. We don't live out significance until we feel significant. And the way we feel significant is that we feel loved by other people. And when we feel loved by other people, we use that same love to show to others, to give us a significant life. People came to you to share love to you because it was an urgent message cool thing about, you know, Zacchaeus, think about the autobiography 
Okay, a biography is people writing things about you, okay, saying things about you. Fiction is, you know, it's just not truth. We need a truthful message. Y'all, what we're doing with our lives, our story, it's autobiographical. Autobi it's an auto thing, all right? We're writing our story. We're telling our story and how we live it makes a difference. So my question to you today is like, man, I'm not judgmental. I'm not this. It would never be that way. It's really easy to become that. And it's easy to become that in the church. And I'm going to make some pretty broad statements, and it may or may not apply to you, all right? But for people who grow up in the church, like me, okay, for people who grow up in the church and come to Christ because their family is in church, it's really easy in a lot of churches for the churches to become, you know, more inward focused that we look out for each other who are in the church. And sometimes we turn that into a protected place from the world. I mean, I love to go to the church because I just feel protected from the world. I mean, some people feel that way. That's how they feel about the, the you know, the purpose of the church. Well, people who feel that way, this is what usually happens. They judge people who are outside of the church. I mean, the second you say, I'm going to go protect myself from the world, is the moment you are judging people outside in the world. So those type of churches, they become very judgmental, and people who are in the world who are looking for God don't feel the love that's coming from God, of God from that. A lot of churches are that way. Then there's another type of church who is passionate about reaching people who are lost, who you know finds people in the community, uh, who need Jesus. I would say definitely that's who Woodland is, is a community church. I mean, we're constantly doing this. Now, there's a reason why that we would become that type of church. It's because our focus and attention is on people, the urgent message that they need to hear because they need Christ. There are some people who are, it's easier for them to have that passion and feeling for other people. And I'll give you an example of that. And it's my dad. My dad, uh, super successful pastor, pastor of one of the largest, you know, you know, mega churches of his day in Pensacola, of all places. He was on television. Uh, that's back when there were four TV stations, okay? So you didn't have any options. So a lot of people in the area knew who my dad was. It's like, you really want to watch TV? Watch a preacher, all right? Uh, so that's kind of the way it was. But when he was growing up, that's not the way it was. He didn't grow up in church. His dad was an alcoholic. Uh, his dad, my grandfather, died when I was one year old. He died because he was drinking and driving. That's how he died. So you can imagine what that would do to a young man in my dad. My dad was a superstar athlete kind of person, all right? He's just that kind of person. We have a lot of that in, in common. <laughs> um, see, that was a lie. That was, that was fiction, all right? That was fiction. But that's the kind of guy he was. Actually, he had an opportunity to play professional baseball, and he turned it down because at that time he was a believer and decided to go into ministry. But I'm just telling you that's the kind of person he was. He didn't go to the church to find answers. You know, there was this person who he was dad was out playing basketball one day with some of his friends. And this man, this person came and saw my dad and got in a conversation with my dad about Jesus. And my dad got saved on a basketball court. Never anticipated that happening. But countless numbers of people have come to know Christ because of that event. 
Now, I'm saying all this for a reason. My dad was, is, and while he was pastoring, was the most evangelistic pastor that I knew. I mean, it was always about sharing people, his faith with other people. And here's the reason why, as a pastor, he was that way. Because he related to those other people outside of the church. He didn't grow up in the church. He knew what it was like to be that person who had a dad who was an alcoholic, who had these issues in his life. I didn't know that when I grew up. My dad was a pastor and did this. But you know what? I got that from my dad. Because constantly, it's not about the people who are here. It's about the people who are out there. I was telling our staff uh, this past week, again, we've been going through this, and I was telling our staff, you know, how important it is for us to be sharing the message, the gospel out, you know, during the week and to be these kind of people. Most of the people who came to profess their faith on the weekends, that's back, you know, the Baptist church, people come down and, you know, all that. Um, most of the people who came to profess their faith of Christ, it wasn't because of my dad's sermon. And to be honest with you, he was a good pastor, good preacher, not a fantastic preacher, he's a good preacher. Um, Oh, I hope he doesn't hear this part of the message. So anyway, uh, he, would, he would say that about himself. It really, he was good. The people who came to proclaim are people who got saved during the week. I would say, I'm absolutely guessing, but probably 90% of the people who professed Christ on the weekend did it because they got saved during the week. Because other people showed love to them. You know, when we don't, have the celebrations of people coming to Christ. It's not about being here. and It's about what we do on Friday. It's about what we do on Wednesday for kids. It's about what we do in all the other areas of our life. So my question for you is, are you sharing your story? It's an autobiography. What are you saying to other people about what God has done in your life? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. And I just want to encourage you to pray about that. It might be today that you don't have a relationship with God. And let me tell you, Jesus is the answer for you. Because of what Jesus did on the cross to die for you, we can come to know him personally. And just a moment back in the back after the service, uh, we're going to have a counselor back to my right, to your left. There's a high top table back there. There should be someone back there to help you and talk with you about giving your life to Jesus and accepting Christ into your heart. We would love to help you with that decision today. And God might be talking to you very personally to that, and we encourage you to do that. It might be today as a believer, though, you're realizing that it's not an urgent message for you to share. And maybe God's speaking to you right now. And I want to encourage you as I pray for you to pray to make the commitment to be people who share our story. Father, thank you for what you taught us. I pray, God, that as we uh, hear this, that it would be life transforming. I pray, God, that we would want, and not only what we would want, we must. God, I pray that our heart would be the heart of Jesus. That we must do something that we must share the message. Give us heads on swivels, God, where we are looking around us all the time for people who don't know you to help them know, verbally or non-verbally, that they matter because we're willing to be with them. God, thank you for forgiving us and loving us and help us live out our significance to reach other people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.